Hey Rebels, my name is Matthew Barton. Welcome to the Rebellion Brewing Podcast. Have you heard about the Dawn of Beer? Don Tess is a Calgary-based beer writer who's a BJCP-rated judge and an all-round beer geek. Today, we're sitting down to talk all about beer yeast. Yeast is probably one of the least understood ingredients in beer, yet it's essential. There are beers without hops, like Gruitz, and gluten-free beers without barley, like Glutenberg. But without yeast, there's no beer at all. So what does yeast do? And what's new in the world of beer yeast? Don's here to explain, so let's get into it. Don, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How's it going? Yeah, excellent. I'm uh, very excited for this because I love talking about beer. <laughs> when I first got talking with you about what we could do for an episode because we wanted to talk a little about beer, I had just come off talking about barley and hops and you said, hey, let's talk about yeast. So I guess if we start at the very beginning and we assume that the audience knows a little bit but not a lot about beer, at its core, what are brewers doing with yeast? Um, so, you know, the joke in the beer industry is that brewers actually don't make beer. Brewers make wort and yeast makes beer. So um, building on what you said in, in the intro, yeast is fundamental to beer. Um, and in, in fact, is fundamental to all alcohol because it is the yeast that um, at its most basic level, it eats, yeast eats sugar and it breaks that down into uh, alcohol and carbon dioxide. And then of course, there's all these um, other little esters and chemicals that, uh, that create different, different flavors. But at its most basic level, yeast creates alcohol from sugar. Someone once said to me, uh, alcohol is yeast poop. Yeah, sure. <laughs> And, and, uh, and then I guess that would make the CO2 that it also produces. That's, that's yeast farts, I guess. <laughs> and now that we're done with the college humor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from a very fundamental perspective, why is yeast important? Why are we talking about it? Like, why should people care? Yeah, I think that, um, and I think this is why yeast is also uh, kind of an interesting subject today is that yeast contributes way more flavor to beer than I think a lot of people realize. And um, we've all been, particularly in this most recent, let's say, 10 years in craft beer, everybody's so excited about um, the newest hop varieties. Uh, and uh, I've listened to a number of your podcasts where you interview people on the farming and malt side. And I think people are understanding the difference between, you know, a Vienna malt and a crystal malt and, and pale malt. And, and a lot of people I think don't appreciate how much uh, the right yeast strain can make a difference in beer and, and yeast management can make the right difference in beer. So the same way, you know, if you uh, cook a steak at, one temperature or another steak at, or the same steak at 10 degrees hotter, you get a different flavor. Same with uh, yeast fermentation, uh, you know, fermentation temperature, uh, how much you pitch. Um, for those who don't know, when you pitch yeast into wort, the first thing it does is it reproduces itself and it grows to a level um, uh, 
that it's happy with before it starts fermentation. And so you can man you can change that by pitching different amounts of yeast, and that will take up different chemicals out of the out of the unfermented wort, most most notably free amino nitrogen. And I mean, we could go down a whole rabbit hole <laughs> of, of, of geekiness there. I think the first kind of time I understood yeast was more of a thing in beer was when I was asked to describe the difference between ales and lagers. Yeah. Is, is that an actual distinction that's meaningful these days or is, is that kind of like a, a past tense in terms of understanding yeast? Um, it's actually a little bit of both. I'm going to say, I think that, um, I think it is a meaningful distinction because um, they are different species of yeast. So not just different strains of yeast, uh, different species of yeast. And, um, and they therefore have different characteristics. So um, they will do different things. But going back to what I said a couple of minutes ago about yeast management and temperature, you can do a brewer can do a lot of things to make to, to erase a lot of those those differences or compensate for a lot of those differences. So, you know, for people who have had a Kolsch, which is a fermented with a, a, a strain of yeast that is an ale strain, um, but at a lower temperature and there's various other things that makes it fairly lager-like, uh, makes the final beer uh, fairly lager-like. So uh, that's one example. Um, uh, Kvik uh, is a popular um, uh but um, category of yeasts now that people have been playing with uh, definitely an ale type uh, of, of yeast. I, um, I uh, recently tried a lager fermented with a Greek yeast. Uh, that was mind blowing to me because who in their right mind would choose to ferment a lager with a Greek yeast. And yet it was an amazing lager, you know, nice and clean and, and, None of the farmhouse character that many people would associate with the uh, Kvik yeast. I was going to say puke. <laughs> yeah, no, none of that. None of that at all. It was a, it was a beautiful thing. Um, and then I guess I don't think I properly answered your question. Why yeast is really cool now is that as we have, you know, over 1,100 breweries in Canada now and over 8,000 breweries in the United States and, you know, a, a lot of, most breweries have, have, have played with different hops and, and um, maybe they've played with different malts and different barleys. Uh, and, and yeast, despite being the fundamental ingredient in beer, has largely been, at least new yeast has, has largely been untapped. And, and um, if you were to walk around to all of the breweries uh, in Regina and ask them what yeast strains they use, you would probably end up with a list of around between one and two dozen. I would argue. Um, and for a while, there was a time, you know, people were, were proud of the fact that they were using old yeast strains. And, you know, oh, we, we ferment with this, uh, you know, West Lettering yeast, or we, we made this uh, Belgian triple with, uh, with West Mall yeast, or we made our, our uh, British-style beer with a Fuller's yeast. And North American beer, very often people will, will ferment it with the Chico yeast. So it's all the same, all the same, all the same, all the same. And yeast is kind of this new, I don't want to say new, it's a, a new types of yeast is finally, I think, being uh, played with uh, by, by brewers and by yeast labs. And, and I think uh, 
you know, like in all other ingredients in beer, there's multi-parties involved. The brewers need to be interested. Yeast labs need to be interested. Um, you know, so all that sort of thing. So I think we're, we're kind of at the beginning of, of a new, new interesting era in beer because of yeast. There's like three pieces I wanted to unpack there because you said a lot in a very short period of time. <laughs> I tend to babble, yes. <laughs> I wasn't a babble at all. It. I just feel that there's very distinct pieces I want to have you address because for me, I'm curious, but also to help the understanding of the audience. I know I've had customers come into our tap room and when we say we use ale yeast or we produce ales, not lagers, they, they're offended or they, they're like, I will, I only drink lagers mm -hmm. and I'm trying to disabuse people of the notion that they can't drink an ale because they only drink lagers. Like, like uh, you said, brewers can treat the yeast in a way that they don't, they don't have a problem serving a pint. That's not a lager, technically a lager. You'll still enjoy it. If you think you have identified that lager is the beer you want to drink. Yeah. I know that we use ale yeast because we can ferment much faster on our system. We need to produce beer. We need to turn it around quickly to get it out to be profitable, to make that kind of money. And when we looked at what we, our options were with loggers, it was just too long of a turnaround time. Yep. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to talk about that with you a little bit in terms of turnaround time. What are we looking at for traditional loggers versus traditional ales? Well, okay. So it depends on how you define traditional. But because um, uh, Kvik yeast, for example, can ferment out in as little as a day, um, more commonly two, three, four days, but as little as a day. And um, a lot of people consider those to be new yeasts, but really they're hundreds of years old. So arguably they're traditional yeasts. They're just new for us in North America, discovering them. Lager, uh, lager yeasts can take, you know, as long as two to three weeks to do their fermentation. And then um, the, the word lager uh, is a German word and it means to store. So in fact, um, some lagers can take, you know, six, seven, eight months to make. Uh, and for a brewery that has a limited tank space, uh, that's, that's not going to happen. Um, so yeah, those, um, and again, that's um, kind of a um, um, characteristic, those broad characteristics of those two categories of yeast. But, um, but, but as, as we said, that can be managed. To help the audience put it into context, I think at Rebellion, we're averaging about 10 days from kettle to can in terms of uh, producing a beer. And the majority of that time is fermentation. So I was excited when you said Kavik because one of the things I was reading you were talking about was they figured out how to make it not taste like vomit and sadness because the very <laughs> first Kavik beers I had were f just awful. Like, for, forgive me for swearing, but they were fucking bad, like undrinkable. And the guy was like, isn't this exciting? I'm like, no, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but just last week, our brewers were testing out Kavik yeast because they said it ferments quicker. And I'm like, but it better not taste 
like that other garbage. And they're like, we think we figured it out. And I was like, okay, Don, help me understand this. What the heck are my guys doing? Yeah, so um, um, yeast produces a whole bunch of byproducts in addition to the alcohol and, and um, um, uh, carbon dioxide. And uh, it's just like any other living organism behaves differently at different temperatures and under different conditions. So uh, taking us as humans as an example, we, uh, and we, let's say we want to run a marathon. Uh, if we eat uh, pasta the night before, we'll be well-fueled for carbohydrates and the way we perform and, in fact, the fuel that we burn to run that marathon will be different than if we eat steak the night before a marathon. Conversely, if we want to run a 100-meter sprint and we eat pasta the night before or eat steak the night before, we're going to perform differently. And the, the two, uh, what you want to eat the night before depends on what you want to do. Do you want to run a sprint or do you want to run a marathon? So um, the creek yeast, uh, it, it, it tends to be a sprinter. Uh, if you give it food to sprint, it will sprint. But that doesn't mean, you know, Usain Bolt could run a marathon. He's probably not a very good marathoner. But if you give him the right fuel, if you give him the right training, and if you give him the right conditions, he can run a marathon. And so that's basically what you're... Your, and, and by the way, Usain Bolt is a very talented runner. So uh, I've never run a marathon and Usain Bolt has never run a marathon. I'm guessing if, you, if he and I were to run a marathon tomorrow, he will beat me, uh, even though it's our first marathon for both of us. So similar with the Kavik yeast, the nature of it is it's a Usain Bolt. Uh, and all your brewers are trying to do is give it the right fuel and give it the right conditions to run a marathon and it will still run the marathon better than, you know, any other, uh, ale yeast will. So that's how you make a lager ish beer from a ale and a, and a crazy ale, uh, strain, uh, no less. So I don't know if that, 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 does that make sense? I think so. I think I grasp it okay. <laughs> as a topic. I know you've written extensively about it. I know you've done a lot of thinking and I, w I wanted to scoop out some of that knowledge from your brain and say, why did it excite you? Why did you think it was important enough to focus on now? Um, just because, so I've been in the beer business for over 20 years. Uh, I've, I take notes on every beer I've ever tried. So I had over 24,000 different beers and I am a cynical person by nature. So, um, you know, I go to breweries and, and I love beer. So this is going to sound really bad and I don't mean it to sound bad because I really do love beer. But I go to a brewery and they go, oh, here's, try my uh, hazy uh, IPA. And, you know, I, I used uh, mosaic hops in it. And I go, oh, well, that's original. This will be my, you know, 700th hazy IPA with mosaic hops in it. And what's interesting, what got me excited about yeast is, is that there's really some cool things going on. Uh, even though yeast is thousands of years old, um, uh, yeast, uh, yeast companies are finally, uh, the, the technology has always been there. So it's just the nature of the beer business that it's evolved to a point where the yeast businesses are trying to create new yeast. So they're using hybrid, they're hybridizing yeast. 
They're uh, using uh, CRISPR technology to make yeast do different things. Um, and then there's a new type of uh, yeast prop yeast uh, evolution called adaptive laboratory evolution. And so we're kind of at the forefront. Imagine, you know, so beer is thousands of years old and hops are, have been used in beer for a few hundred years. <laughs> so relatively speaking, hops are new in beer. Imagine that we were beer lovers at the time that hops were first being used in beer and you taste it and, and, you know, the, 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 the flavors would be so different from what Gruet was at the time that I think you just, your eyes just bulge out and go, wow, this is really cool. And there's a reason why hops are now in 99.999% of beers now, because hopped beer tastes way better than non-hopped beer. And yes, there's good Gruets out there. I, I realize that there are some exceptions. And I kind of feel like we're doing some cool things in yeast now where like everybody knows there's lager yeast and there's ale yeast. And I wonder if 500 years from now, that distinction won't exist anymore. And, and beer geeks 500 years from now will look back and go, yeah, I was reading a book and like 500 years ago, there's only two different kinds of yeast strain. Isn't that weird? Who can imagine that? That's so bizarre. Uh, I kind of think we're on the forefront of something really cool like that right now. What you just mentioned uh, really resonates with me because I feel like I had that conversation with the barley scientist, Aaron Beatty, where he says the big industrial brewers wanted maybe two or three different types of barley. And that's it because they're just brewing yeah. the exact same thing. Boom. And they it. want that's consistency. Yes. Right. Whereas Kraft is leading this diversity forefront and now they're brewing uh, they're malting barley and they're creating barley strains for craft brewers who want that diversity and those different flavors. It sounds like what you're saying is the exact same for yeast. Yeah, and two things. One is one is the output uh, flavor. So to take uh, Aaron Beatty's uh, analogy with with barley, you know, um, there's when you're making barley, there's two things you need. One is that the farmer can make some money doing it. And then the second is that the brewer can use it. And maybe three, the malster can use it. And then thirdly, the, uh, the brewer can use it. Um, and so I think that um, what's interesting about yeast now, similarly, is that uh, for the longest time, people wanted consistent yeast so that they could have predictable results, similar to what we were talking about with barley. Um, but now we're at a stage where people want to do something cool, want to do something different, and there are different problems to solve. So um, Aaron Beatty would be talking about barley where they, they um, the big brewers use a lot of corn and rice, and therefore they wanted barley types, barley varieties that are high in free amino nitrogen, and this helps yeast propagate to ferment the, the non-malt uh, carbohydrates. Um, so the barley types were made for uh, large brewers. Uh, small brewers have different problems. Small brewers don't need so much free amino nitrogen. So they would like actually uh, barley varieties with lower free amino nitrogen. And I don't mean to pick off free amino nitrogen. There's dozens of characteristics that Aaron could probably talk about. So similarly <laughs> with yeast, uh, one of the big things with these small yeast companies now is they're making yeast for small brewers. 
to, to address one, one of the problems that they would be addressing. And again, there are dozens of problems that they could be addressing, but one of the problems that they, they'd be addressing is, is the one you talked about is to say, well, how can we make a clean tasting yeast that ferments really fast? Uh, well, there's no yeast out there that exists right now to do that. So can we make one? Can we take lager yeast and hybridize it with, uh, with uh, a Kvik yeast, for example, and get cleaner flavors, but super high, uh, super fast fermentation at high temperature. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, uh, flocculation is another issue. Um, for your listeners that don't know, when yeast is done, it will, uh, it, if it does settle down to the bottom of the fermenter, that's called flocculation. Typically speaking, uh, brewers want a highly, highly flocculent yeast, yeast because they don't filter. Therefore, the, the beer looks better. Hazy IPA obviously is the exception, and Hefeweizen would be an exception. But mostly, you want a, a highly flocculent yeast. The beer looks better. The beer will taste cleaner. You reduce certain amount of risk of diastaticus, uh, and you can prop, you can get, gather the yeast out of the bottom of the fermenter and reuse it. So it saves money. There are many yeast strains, uh, saison yeast notably. Uh, that have great flavors and if you make a saison um, problem you're not it's not going to flocculate very well so what if we can make a flocculent saison yeast these are the things that that um, you know i think uh, uh, um, yeast companies are working on now that i think are, are really cool one of the things i think is harder for people to wrap their heads around is mutation over generations we krausen our yeast but we're also constantly monitoring and inspecting and doing lab trials and tests. And we're not that big. And I, I've seen breweries who have full-time scientists on staff who care about that thing. Is, is there a way to make yeast less uh, mutable so it's more consistent? Or is that going to be just a forever problem? Uh, I don't want to say it's going to be a forever problem. I, I'm not aware of any yeast companies working on that per se. But it actually is a question that I am actively asking um, yeast companies right now because uh, in the craft beer world, uh, yeast mutation uh, is a big problem. But if you go back, you know, if you go to some breweries in Germany, they have literally been propagating their yeast for centuries and they don't seem to have a problem. So their generations, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, um, small craft, Canadian craft brewers might propagate their yeast, you know, four to 10 times in that, in that range. Um, some of these German breweries are on generations in the thousands. So why is that? How is that? Uh, I don't, I don't actually have the answer to that question. And I've asked actually quite a few yeast companies and I don't think there's a good answer to that question, but to answer your question, obviously there is a way to manage mutation. We don't really understand it yet. Me personally, I'm not a brewer, but I'm a dork, so I like this stuff. This, these are the kind of things that keep me up at night. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah me too. I'm like, oh man, we're using bases one week to clean it, and we're using acids the next, and we're we're constantly trying to thread this needle. And if a mutation happens, it can fuck an entire batch. Pardon my French. Yeah, and cost us tens of thousands. Like, yeah. we're not just talking about, hey, this is goofing around and. Um, creating something new it's not just goofing around it's 
a question that could be millions and millions of dollars a year for yeah. burrs. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of dollar values, I, I wanted to put it to you kind of unfairly and just say, when we solve these problems, what do you think it's going to mean for brewers and for consumers? Um, I think any number of, of results can happen. And just like in the, you know, the, and I apologize, I, I, I talk in analogies a lot, but if you look at the restaurant industry, there's all kinds of different um, uh, uh, types of restaurants in terms of, uh, you know, there's Mexican restaurants, uh, Asian restaurants, all that sort of thing. And then there's low end restaurants, there's high end restaurants, and they all have their different type target markets. So I, I, I think that a lot of these yeast uh, developments really just help will help broaden beer. So it will make if you wanted to be a small lager brewery in Melfort, Saskatchewan, that is impossible today. I would argue financially impossible today. Maybe that would be possible. Uh, but you know, if you live in Melfort and you don't want to open a lager brewery, but want to open a, uh, you know, a saison brewery, uh, and you want to have a house strain that you can propagate your yeast and use the flocculent, you know, uh, then you can do that. So, uh, or you can do what rebellion is doing and doing a broad style, you know, there's, so I think what this does is really just open up all kinds of opportunities for breweries to position themselves. Uh, it, I think of brewers as artists and so, uh, or musicians. And so, uh, you know, if you want to be, uh, 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 an accordion ska band, that's cool. Uh, but in order to be an accordion ska band, you need accordions that can withstand the, you know, the rigors of being a ska band, B bad example. But, but, but I think we're just creating tools for, for breweries to do what they want to do. And then as consumers, uh, we can, we can find what we like too, because there'll be so many breweries out there doing, doing interesting things. I guess, You've given me so much great information, so much knowledge about yeast. I, I wanted to pick your brain about the Alberta craft beer scene. Who is doing exciting things with yeast? Who have you talked to that you think, hey, Matt, next time you're in Alberta, go check this out? Um, so right off the top, the um, the lager that I was talking about fermented with the Kvik yeast was the Village Brewery made a reinterpretation of Calgary beer. Uh, and so that is very interesting. Um, uh, I hope I am not spoiling any trade secrets here, but Dandy Brewing is a, uh, is a brewery that uses Kvik yeast a lot and they do it in a very clean fashion. So I would be interested next time you are in Calgary uh, if you would go there and, uh, you tell me, Matt, which ones are fermented with Kvik and which ones aren't. And we'll test whether or not you can taste that awful taste that you, uh, that, uh, you perceive. Um, but other than that, you know, I think that, um, uh, I would just keep my eyes out, uh, uh um, uh, for breweries, uh, hopefully talking about the yeast that they're using. We are, as I mentioned, sort of at the forefront um, I've interviewed a lot of, I do some writing, so I do, I, I, I've interviewed a lot of yeast companies and a lot of, even the products that they're releasing commercially, even they would say, 
are kind of betas. They're kind of experimental. So um, I'm not, you know, I don't think there's any brewery really that, that I would say um, has this amazing, you have to try this. It's more that they're willing to work with the yeast companies, similar with Aaron, Aaron Beatty, you know, there's only certain breweries that are willing to, to try new barleys and there's only certain breweries that are willing to try uh, uh, new yeasts. So um, just keep your eyes open for them, I would say. I know Mark just got back from Alberta and brought back a bunch of beers. And I, I did see some dandy beers in that pile of beer that he brought back. So I'm excited to have a sip of them. I was hoping I could tease you with something that's not yet available to you, but hopefully soon. It's, it's called Kiwi Sour. It's a rebellion beer. It's, it's fairly new to us. We launched it about three weeks ago. And okay. I wanted to get one of those nice can pops, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Boom. That was great. Like, when you when you taste it, it's a kettle sour. Yep. So I felt it would be appropriate to use a kettle sour for the conversation about yeast. <laughs> well, uh, that, that actually brings up an interesting topic because, um, as as many of your listeners would know, when you kettle sour you uh, your kettle gets occupied for a period of time and you have to stop brewing because your kettle is being used. Uh, so there are new yeast strains now that in the fermentation process uh, produce lactic acid, which is the, the acid that the kettle souring does. So you don't have to kettle sour. You could ferment your beer in a normal way and get lactic uh, acidity. So uh, these are the types of cool things that... Uh, that are happening in yeast today. I love that you brought that up because it was not 18 hours ago. I was like, Don's coming on the podcast. We're going to talk about this. And Mark and I were talking about this new solution for our kettle sour beers, which is exactly what you just mentioned because yeah. we brew on a three week on a one week sour kind of rotation yeah. because of sucks up our resources when we have to let the, the kettle sit so the bacteria the the to create that lactic acid takes place it it disrupts everything else so we had to yeah. switch to a one-off three-on kind of system just to get those sour beers to the spec we want without disrupting the rest of our schedule right, right. so when you say hey by the way they've got this i'm like man he's you're two steps ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've actually only tasted one or two beers with that yeast, and I don't think they're quite there yet. Um, sort of what I was saying is we're still in the beta phase of, of a lot of these things. The, the cool thing, though, is that, you know, um, unlike hops and, and barley, which both take, you know, anywhere between 8 and 15 years to do new varieties, yeast propagates fast, uh, you know, in hours. So um, to breed and test uh, and commercialize new yeast is months. Uh, so um, these new souring, I say new, but they're actually rediscovered old yeast again. Um, uh, these new souring yeasts, uh, you know, I don't want to sound harsh, but they're not great yet. But, you know, within a year, maybe, two years, maybe, uh, they might be. That, that'd be really cool. I dig it. This... Uh, we, we've just had a really strange run of very popular uh, sour beers, very strong success with our sour series. And, 
you, you know, it's not a style I chase. It's not something that um, melts my heart or gets me kind of excited. I'm, I'm more into, hey, I want a really great stout or I, I really am digging wet hopped beers is kind yep. of what's stuck in my mind in the last couple of years is comes at harvest time, but once a year, but wow. So yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what breweries are going to be doing, not just at Rebellion, um, with these, these new yeasts, like you said, I know for a fact we're going to be doing 40 liter batches on our pilot system with some of these experimental yeasts just to kind of science the heck out of it and see, see yeah. where we can go and what the possibilities are. Yeah. I, I love that I, you're you there. Know, <laughs> one of the great things is, is what, well, you know, obviously people like to support local and, you know, there's no, to my knowledge, there's no, um, you know, yeast propagators in, in Saskatchewan, but, but um, it is a largely, you know, the big yeast companies are large international companies. One of the, one of the yeast companies that, that is at the forefront of all these new, you know, hybridized or, or um, experimental yeast is, is Canadian uh, out of Guelph. Um, and then there's some experiments. They're not a yeast propagator, but a, um, a yeast experimental lab, I guess you would call it. Uh, and then they, they uh, commercialized through a different company, but the, but um, uh, out of in BC, uh, there's a lot of research going on in yeast. So, so it's something for Canadians to be proud of for sure. If we want to put it into a Canadian context a little bit further, and I would say from Rebellion's perspective, we have tried really, really hard to switch to Canadian yeast producers because when we order from the United States, everything gets jammed up at the border. And we yeah. were finding that stuff was sitting unrefrigerated for days on shelves and we're like, you maniacs are going to blow up our brewery and ruin everything because you wrecked our yeah. yeast. Because some goober at the border said, well, this this could be a terrorist package of right. Like, no, we're trying to make beer buddy. Like, right. <laughs> this is, right. this is yeast for beer. This isn't a bio weapon. So yeah. the, there's a strong incentive for us North of the border to say, we need a made in Canada solution because we order our stuff from uh, East coast or West coast. It comes quicker. It doesn't get jacked at the border and it's reliable. And yeah, you know, there's there's not this uh, this problem with intergovernmental barriers, and it's hard to explain to government officials. You guys are wrecking our business because <laughs> yeah. they're like, you know, and they don't care. We're saving yeah. you from terror. That's right. <laughs> it's like, We're just protecting you. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining my long weekend. I just wanted a beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's production schedules too, because you might be expecting that yeast, and if it doesn't come, damage to the yeast aside. Uh, it just screws up your schedule. So, and if you're running a tight ship, uh, delaying brew day by a day can be hugely problematic. Oh, it, we've had to miss deliveries because we couldn't get the beer made fast enough. We've had customers say, I'd really like to order some Zilla IPA this week. And we're like, sorry, you have to wait till next week. And they're like, yeah, we, our shelves are bare. Like we don't want to yeah. have holes in our shelves. Cause when consumers come to our store, they expect the products there. There's real pressure. Yep. So I, f I feel that. Uh, and that's a lost sale for them too. Right. So they're not being unreasonable. <laughs> they're just, uh, yeah, they're in a tough spot too. Right. So I got to tease you a little bit with this Kiwi sour. It's got a little bit of vanilla in it. Nice rounded out. It, it doesn't make your jaw clench. If there's a beer, that I should try next time I'm coming to Calgary. 
what, uh, like you said, dandies, but I'm like, what's a Don Tess certified beer to try to hunt out? Um, so I like a lot of beers. Um, I like a lot of beer styles. Um, one thing, you know, there's a lot of good breweries in, in Calgary, you know, in Alberta in Edmonton, in Red Deer, in Lacombe, there's lots of great breweries and I'm always hesitant to kind of single one out, but, but I can make it easy for you. How about a stout? Cause I'm a stout guy. I love stout. That's what I'm chasing. Well, what I was going to suggest though, not a stout is a, a red ale called red rage from a brewery called Toolshed. And the reason that I like it is that it's, it takes a lot of boxes for me in terms of uh, if you're new to beer and you just want to try it and it's got interesting flavors. So you can just drink that beer and enjoy it because it's a very enjoyable beer. Uh, if you are a beer nerd, as you and I are, and particularly malt nerds, because uh, I get the sense that you're a bit of a malt nerd and I'm a, I'm a malt nerd. It's made with six different malts. And in that beer, if you sit and think about them, you can taste the six malts. You can pick them out. Um, a lot of beer, you know, again, I'll, I always bring up analogies. If you're painting with yellow and red paint, you can keep the yellow and red paint separate or you can mix them together and make orange. So what I like about Red Rage is they've kept the paints separate. You can taste the different malts in the beer and you can reach in and nerd out and, and really think and analyze about the beer, analyze the beer. Or if you're there with friends and you just want to have a beer and chat, well, don't think about the beer, just enjoy the beer. It's a wonderful, wonderful beer. I I've had it. <laughs> oh, okay. I've met Graham. Um, I've... Tell me the six malts in it. <laughs> I don't remember the malts. I do remember okay. it being my uh, favorite from their lineup. Um, I would say yeah. my earliest memory of Alberta craft beer going back seven, maybe eight years now was Graham and his guys came to uh, the the craft home brewers uh, meeting in the basement of the Bushwhacker yep. and they brought Star Cheek IPA and Flat Cap Stout and Red Rage. And I think yep. that was my very first craft beer from Alberta memory. Like I think that was my very first experience was drinking red rage. Yeah. Yeah. It's a group beer. I still love it. If people like what you've had to say about yeast and they want to learn more about, uh, what you're writing and thinking, where can they find you online? Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, colloquially known as the dawn of beer. So my Twitter and Instagram are at the dawn of beer. My website is dontess.beer, and my last name is spelled T-S-E, so it's D-O-N-T-S-E dot beer. Um, that actually just forwards to my old website. But uh, uh, most of the things I write are there. Um, sometimes they're behind a paywall. I don't control that. It's the publications that I pay for, so I apologize. Uh, or you can, you can subscribe because, of course, my writing is so worth people paying for, right? <laughs> I would suspect your next move would be a Substack account, you know? <laughs> I heard those guys are making bank. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> Don, thank you for your time today, man. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for geeking out with me. Cheers. Cheers. Rebels, thanks for listening today. 
If you have any questions or comments about this episode, be sure to join us on our brand new Facebook group page, The Rebellion Brewing Podcast. I'm going to include links to all things Don Tess so you can find him in the show notes and all his stuff online. I'm also proud to let you know that we're members of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. It's a one-stop shop for tons of locally produced shows from across our province. You can find them at saskpodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped so you don't miss out on the latest in Sask craft beer news and also Alberta craft beer news. Thank you for joining the Rebellion.